Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to another exciting night of NBA basketball. With the first pick, the Detroit Pistons select Cade Cunningham from Oklahoma State University. Chandler again. Oh, what a block by Max Seal! My goodness! The Pistons are digging in. They got the depth. They got the big men. They got the better basketball team. No doubt about it. There's Jaden playing the passing lane. Sky's a jam. Dynamite dunk and the crowd loves it. Pistons need a three and they have just under three seconds to do it. Here's Chauncey Phillips. Here it is. Hello, Pistons fans, and welcome back to another edition of the Palace of Pistons podcast brought to you by, I believe, Aaron Johnson and Jasper Apollonia here with you for this week's show. We just took a week off, and that's something that I can't recall this show doing as a whole in quite some time. I feel like we've had at least two two of us on each week for a, for a podcast episode for Quite a streak there, uh, but we did take a week off last week, and of course, as soon as we decided we were going to take a week off last week, a, a bunch of stuff has happened uh, <laughs> since we last had a podcast episode, so we've got an absolute ton to get into. Excited to have uh, Jasper here with me today. Before we get into everything, I do want to talk about what makes this show possible, and that's our sponsor, Bet online, betonline.ag is the number one source for all your sports basketball info, stats, news, and scores. Get the latest odds and lines, including the latest player reports from this year's pro basketball playoffs. BetOnline is always your sports information headquarters this season, as we have you covered for all of your sports wagering needs. Basketball, MLB, NHL, hockey, right to the UFC and boxing. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info, including live betting options and your favorite casino and card games you can play right from your home. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Be sure to use our promo code BLEAV, B-L-E-A-V, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Again, our promo code BLEAV to receive 50% on your first, a 50% bonus on your first deposit with betonline.ag okay jasper uh, good to have you with me we got a lot of uh of topics that we want to hit on and cover the first thing that we have to to bring to light is some some news that came out uh last week that the detroit pistons were uh, firing moving on from assistant general manager rob murphy uh murphy was promoted by the detroit pistons uh, last summer, after spending a, a season as the organization's uh, president of the team's G League affiliate, the Motor City Crews, uh, the firing be, it was announced amid allegations uh, that came to light in October of, of 2022 by a female staff member of the Detroit Pistons organization of sexual harassment, uh, and these the accuser has since filed a lawsuit. Uh, against Rob Murphy. The Pistons announced this um, just sh- shortly before a released article that included quotes or included uh, an interview with the accuser came out by the Detroit Free Press. Uh, but the Pistons having to make uh, this decision, uh, certainly not something that uh, this organization wanted to be a part of. And it's certainly not something that that puts them in a good light. Obviously, there's just absolutely no room for this type of misconduct uh, in the workplace. No, absolutely not. And we're not going to spend too much time on this because, you know, we're not lawyers and these are still, you know, technically speaking, these are allegations still. Um, we we have to let the legal process play out in this case, but I, I really want to just touch on, I want to give first off uh, Teresa Baldus and Amy Lang uh, both a lot of credit, Amy Lang over at Fox 2 Detroit. She did a sit-down interview with the accuser, uh, DJ Raska. Um, you know, Teresa Baldus, she was the one who released the story uh, on the for the free press. And I want to give both of them a lot of credit. I want to give the victim a lot of credit as well. That's really hard to do 
not just to come forward against um, your boss, against a major organization in this town, but to come forward publicly and do a sit down interview 12 minutes long, detailing everything that she alleges. Um, she she deserves nothing but all the credit in the world for putting up with this alleged abuse and not staying silent on it. And that that really, I think, just highlights the importance of local news, good local news, good local reporting and people that are willing to stand up and say, hey, what's happening is not right. So I want to give all three of those women a lot of credit. Obviously, Aaron, there's there's no place for anything like this in a workplace environment, especially what's being alleged. Um, yeah, I mean, it's you know, people can look it up for themselves, but it's it's pretty, pretty horrible. Uh, and as somebody who's dealt with sexual harassment in the workplace myself, I can tell you uh, from experience, it's it it affects your entire life in a way that is incredibly, incredibly difficult. It, you think about it constantly. It, it You can't get it off of your mind. It's what you think about every single day. And when you're working with somebody in close proximity like that, man, I can't imagine how difficult it must have been for her to be in that environment and then to also have to wait since October 2022 um, to actually have these allegations brought to a conclusion with the firing of Rob Murphy uh, last Wednesday, which was one day before the release of the Free Press article. Um, you know, I again, I don't want to go in on the Pistons organization. We don't know what happened behind the scenes. We don't know why it took them so long. And I think if you and I were ever accused of something like that, we would want our employers to take the time uh, to properly investigate those allegations. So I'm not going to say anything about the Pistons here. I don't think we're in a place to do anything like that. But I just want to give the, the victim all the credit in the world here for coming forward and say unequivocally, this is wrong. Uh, it has no place, not only in the Pistons organization, but in any workplace environment, in any part of life. And I truly hope that this comes to a speedy conclusion um, and that the victim is uh, finds justice. So that that's really all I have to say on it, Aaron. I don't know if you have more to add, but that's how I feel. You know, I think... I think you, you summed it up as as much detail as we really need to go into on it. It's an incredibly unfortunate situation. It's wrong that, that this, you know, occurred in the first place. And um, it did stick out to me that it took this Detroit uh, Free Press article coming out for for the Pistons to to make the decision to, you know, officially fire Rob Murphy, who had been on leave from the organization uh, since October of 2022. Um, but that's, yeah, I, I think you're right as well. And to where we don't need to get into any more speculation or, or, or making any, you know, major claims or anything like that, while there's still a lot that seemingly needs to unravel with this, uh, between the organization and the accuser. So I guess, I think it's best we leave it there. And, uh, now we can move forward into some other recent news regarding the Detroit Pistons. And it's about the team's rookies from this season, Jaden Ivey and Jalen Duran. Uh, both of them were named to the all-rookie second team. You know, I think that it was expected that both of them would earn the honor. I think there was, at least to me, I was a little bit not shocked, but disappointed that Jaden Ivey did not get the, the first team all-rookie nod. Uh, Benedict Matherin was, you know, the I guess you could say fifth guy if you had to rank him, uh, that, that was named to the all-rookie first team. The others, you know, Paula Bencaro, Jalen Williams, Walker Kessler. Um, so not that any of those guys didn't deserve the honor, but I think Jaden Ivey just as much uh, earned the right to, to be named to the first team. Nonetheless, both of them named to the all-rookie second team. Uh, great seasons, I think, overall for the rookies. Uh, I'm a little disappointed Ivey didn't get the, the first team nod, but I feel like when it comes down to it, a lot of these decisions are made in that first half of the season. Benedict Madrin obviously had a, a really strong start to the year, just like Paolo Bencaro had a really strong start to the year. And Paolo was like immediately locked in as the rookie of the year. I mean, it was two weeks into the season and people were like, yeah, the rookie of the year race is done. Paolo Bencaro's won it. Even though Jalen Williams had an absolutely phenomenal second half of the season that, you know, not that he didn't get his props for, he obviously made the all-rookie first team, but you know he didn't even, 
really make a dent in, in the rookie of the year race to Paolo Bencaro. So these awards to me are, are especially the, these rookie ones seemingly get decided very early on in the season. And I don't think it takes away from, from anything that, that Ivy uh, has done this year. I thought he had a really, really strong season. I personally, to me, he exceeded my expectations and whether that was due to it being because he had to take on a big role with, with Kate Cunningham out for the year or not, uh, I was really, really impressed by Ivy, and like I said, he he exceeded uh, you know what I had hoped he would be able to do for the Pistons uh, in year one. Yeah, no question. And look, the fact of the matter is, Keegan Murray made the All Rookie First Team uh, over Jaden Ivy, which I have no problem with. And I still think if I went back and I did it again, I'd still take Ivy over Murray. He absolutely exceeded expectations. You're completely right. And- and yeah, maybe some of that had to do with, uh, you know, the role that he was forced to play with Kate Cunningham going down. But I really think he showed a lot of growth throughout the season, um, regardless of what he was being asked to do. You saw him grow as a passer. Uh, you saw him grow as a shooter, especially in terms of pull-ups, in sort of terms of catch and shoot. Um, he made some great strides and even really you know, underlooked, underlooked at, I think in the last two or two and a half uh, season, sorry, two and a half months of the season, I think he made some strides defensively as well that not a lot of people took notice of. Uh, obviously, he's not a plus there, don't get me wrong, but he improved greatly from where he was even in the middle of the season towards that all-star break. So for me, yeah, absolutely. I'm with you. I'm not surprised. I'm disappointed. We talked about it a couple months ago, even that we thought Benedict Matherin would make it over Ivy, despite Jaden Ivy providing more in terms of assists. Um, you know, in, in terms of efficiency, it really was not that far off. And you look at the respective roles that they were asked to play. Jaden Ivy, 24% of his twos were assisted. Benedict Matherin, 60% of his twos were, were assisted. And when you have a guy like Ty- Tyrese Halliburton, who gets you the ball in great places, you know, the differences in their efficiency were not that vast. And when you look at what Ivy was asked to do versus what Matherin was asked to do and what they produced in terms of output, to me, I I just, I don't really see how Benedict Matherin made it over him. He averaged 0.4 more points per game and five assists. And what, a, a four and a half assists less? I mean, Matherin had had more turnovers than assists this year. That's a fact. So we didn't create for anybody else. He just came off the bench and he scored. And he played a little defense. But he wasn't so great defensively to where, you know, Jaden Ivey being being a negative there, the, the difference was so vast. You know, Benedict Matherin was not Herb Jones of last year. So for me, that was the one quibble I had. Uh, Durin, second team, yeah, makes sense. Walker Kessler was a beast this year. Walker Kessler was an absolute monster. Honestly, if you asked Utah, hey, uh, if you're at the Timberwolves, you go, hey, uh, you want to take Gobert back for Walker Kessler? I don't think Utah would say yes, straight up, to be honest at this point. So, yeah, you can't can't be mad at that. Uh, The other four guys on that first team absolutely deserved it. I have my issues with, with Matherin over Ivy. But like you said, these awards are decided in the first month. Last year, Cade Cunningham lost to the Rookie of the Year in his first month of play. This year, Paolo Banquero won it in his first month of play. Despite, and this is the crazy thing, despite shooting worse than Cade Cunningham from two, from three, and from the free throw line. But you didn't hear so much about Paolo Banquero being inefficient. You heard a lot about it about Cade Cunningham. So I, I always think these... uh quote-unquote discussions, because they're not really discussions. They're uh, soapboxes for people to stand on. I-, I always find those things interesting. Yeah, I think, you know, what we said is it- certainly true, and I've heard other people kind of say it as well. These awards, again, they're decided early on, and it's it's the narratives that are built within the first week or two, and it makes life easier. It makes the job easier for the voters who just decide to run with that narrative no matter what. And it's not a slight on any of these guys. I mean, I think this year's rookie class has had some really strong performers for a class that one was missing. It's uh, one of its best prospects in Chet Holmgren all season. And two wasn't considered to be an outstanding rookie class. 
you know, I think there's a, a good group of guys, these guys that, that made uh, the first and second teams, all of them have all-star level potential at some level. You know, I don't know if any of them are, are, are going to be superstars. You know, I think Paul Bencaro can be a superstar. Um, I don't know if, you know, anyone else can be a superstar in terms of, you know, a top 15, 20 player, top 15, 20, 25 player. But you don't think, sorry, real quick, but you, you don't think uh, Jaden Ivey could get to that like De'Aaron Fox level? I think Fox is a 15, 20 top player. Mm, I think if I went through and ranked the top 15, 20 players in the league, maybe De'Aaron Fox like right is right at 20. Okay. I mean, it could be close. I, yeah. I, I guess I'd have to go through and, and really go, you know, player by player. I, I think Jaden Ivey, you know, has all-star potential. You know, I think he's one of those guys. Sure. I think he has high, one of the the higher ceilings out of that draft class, which is part of the reason why I was a proponent of taking him last year. It's something that we talked about extensively leading up to the draft is, you know, you need to get guys with higher potential. And Jaden Ivey stood out to me as one of those guys. But I, I just I just think this class, this, this this season played really, really well. And, you know, to me, someone like Jalen Williams, who, you know, wasn't a top five pick or anything like for him to be an all, you know, all rookie first team selection, arguably be a top candidate for the rookie of the year award to have a huge role on Oklahoma city thunder who made it to the plan. And he played well in the plan. Like this class I'd say has over exceeded expectations and they're missing Chet Holmgren, who yeah. I think has the potential to be better than anyone else in the class. We don't know, but a number two pick for a reason. I was, you know, I really enjoyed this year's class and it was a class that I going into the draft, going into the season, you know, I didn't think was going to be this talented. Aaron, I, I have to ask, if you got like a random sampling of 10 average NBA fans, you know, guys who watch games and follow the league, how many of them do you think would say that, you know, between Jaden Ivey and Benedict Matherin, how many of them do you think would say shot who shot better from three on greater volume? Benedict Matherin or Jaden Ivey? Because my guess is if you ask them, Nine out of 10 would say Benedict Matherin shot more threes and shot better from three, even though that wasn't the case. I, I think that's like another interesting thing with it. Like Jaden Ivey shot half, half a three more per game than Benedict Matherin did and shot 3% better from, from long distance. Like, I don't know, man, uh, this, that, that really bugs me. <laughs> I think I'm really bothered by that. Went on. You know, it, it goes hand in hand with what we've already said. Ivy was better by the end of the season. It just didn't matter. It was too late at that point. I think Ivy grew defensively as a shooter. Like I, I was hammering Ivy's defense. And I I still think rightfully so I was hammering Ivy's defense in that first half of the season. But he no question. got better as time went on. Yeah. Are you dude he had that game against Minnesota where he was just going over every screen and like going so hard in recovery? Ah, man, uh, towards the end of the season, I really, I hope people go back and kind of watch some of those possessions he played because, like, he made really big strides with his effort, especially. Like, he wasn't gambling on steals. To, uh, not nearly enough to start the season. He started doing it a little bit more, like, to finish things up. I, I really do hope that people go back and watch some of those games because I think if they see what we saw, they'll see that all that, that really, like, that multi-time all-star potential. Um yeah, I mean, you know me, I was going into the draft not super-duper sold on Jade and Ivy. I'm very much sold on him now. Yeah, I think he was, the, you know, he was arguably the team's best best player by the end of the season in terms of guys that were still healthy. I think when you, you take into account the role that he had to play for, for the Pistons as well, I mean, you know, Benedict Matherin was coming off the bench, wasn't the primary guard or anything. Uh, you know, Jade and Ivy kind of got pigeonholed in, into being that, and the growth he made, you know, as a facilitator, as the lead ball handler, obviously there's still question marks about his efficiency finishing at the rim. Um, but but the strides that he made from October to 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 April to March were were incredible. And yeah, yeah, and I think by the end of the year, Jaden Ivey was better than Benedict Matherin. But I don't want to harp uh, on this any further because we've got a lot of other stuff to talk about. Still, a lot yeah. more news to talk about. A lot of news hitting hitting the Pistons right now. Um, as we took a week off from the show, it was just, uh, I guess, a way to, to get at us for, for not having a show last week. We've got some more news on the coaching front for, for the Pistons. I think seven different reporters reported this, uh, 
Shams reported it. James Edwards the third reported it. Uh, Mike Curtis reported it. I mean, there's probably two, three more uh, other reporters that that have this story as well. But this week, the Detroit Pistons uh, are meeting or have already met with three head coaching finalists for their opening position. Those three names are the names that we've been hearing since the start of the the search. Kevin Ali, the head coach of Overtime Elite and former head coach of UConn men's basketball. Charles Lee, the associate head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. And Jaron Collins, the assistant coach of the New Orleans Pelicans. Aaron, I'm sorry. I got what what is up with you and Kevin Ali? What do I what am I saying? Kevin Ali. Kevin Ali. Kevin Ali. Yeah. No, Kevin Ali. Not Kevin Ali. Kevin Ali. <laughs> Kevin Ali. I don't. Oh my God. I, I feel bad. <laughs> Can I not say it? No, wait, Tim give it, give it to me the same one more time. Give it to me one more time. Now I'm overthinking it. Kevin Ali. Yeah. Kevin yeah, that was good. That was good. That was good. That was good. Let's All leave right, it at that. I, I got a okay. really big. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I, I don't mean to bust your chops. It's cracking me up. For, um, for the people that are just listening, this is something that I've now been called out on like three oh. times. Tim Forkin has attacked me on this multiple occasions. I'm not just yeah, yeah. wrong. It's just kind of, I guess, how it rolls off my tongue, yeah. I guess. You're getting dragged um, by Tim Forkin on Maine. <laughs> it's. It, it is what it is, I guess, at this point. Kevin, okay, uh, say it again. Please confirm if this is right or wrong. I think I was over-exaggerating the end of his name. So, Kevin Ali. Yeah, that's perfect. Okay. I'm going to try to ingrain that in my mind and into my my the into my native tongue, I guess. Uh, you know what? You got to do the Dexter's Lab. You got to put a, a, a headset over and just have it play his name. Yeah. Omelette yeah. du fromage. Omelette du yeah. fromage. Kevin Ali. <laughs> yeah, instead of listening to like uh, peaceful sounds when I'm trying to sleep, I'm just going to listen to different, uh, you know, sports broadcasts where they're saying Kevin Ali's name. Listening to like Jim Calhoun pressers from like 2001. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> sorry. Okay, yeah, but back no. to the discussion. Uh, <laughs> this is the three finalists for the Pistons head coaching position. I am I am going to remain, you know, for, for what I know as a public, on the outside person, looking at the situation, looking at the coaches available, I think this is a really underwhelming group to me. Uh, I'll maintain that I, I, I think out of these three guys, Charles Lee is the best candidate. Uh, he's a part of a couple other head coaching uh, groups right now that are being interviewed. Uh, he's most re- recently been added to the Milwaukee Bucks coaching search after they decided to move, move on from Mike Budenholzer. So I think Charles Lee is the top candidate. Uh, in my mind, I think we're starting to get a better idea of who is going to be named the head coach. And it's yeah. my least favorite candidate. Yeah. But it kind of is what it is at this point. And I think I'm just going to start living with it and and moving on because I can't believe the decision. I, I don't see how a guy that hasn't been a part of any other teams coaching interviews over the last handful of years is, is involved in this type of discussion and, and it's become, you know, the, the, the favorite. I, I don't get it. I think when you look at the history that Troy Weaver has with Kevin Ollie, uh, that's what makes it, it makes the connection. And, and to me, that's not a good enough reason. Like, Oh, I, I worked with this guy before. I know this guy. He's, he's, he's the right guy. Uh, I could be totally wrong. I hope I am wrong. You know, obviously I don't want the Pistons uh, to mess this coaching search up because I think if they do, it's, it's Troy Weaver's kumbaya. He, he'll be done. Um, but the coaching search is winding down for the Pistons. And as, as we get closer and closer uh, to the final results, I am more and more uneasy with the reality sinking in that that Kevin Ali is going to be Ali is going to be the team's next head coach. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on this, Aaron. I mean, we've been harping on it for a while. I'm a little more intrigued by Jerron Collins, I think, than you are. You know, just looking into the defenses that he's coached, he's, he's got a track record there, and I don't think that that's something when you look at a team that's as poor as the Pistons are defensively that you can really just ignore. Um, 
Charles Lee, though, obviously, I think if we're talking qualifications, he's got to be number one on that list. I mean, with Ali, it's just like, yeah, for the reasons you hit on, he hasn't been a part of a, an NBA coaching search. Has he even been a part of a college coaching search like recently? I, I can't remember his name's coming up with anything. Um, yeah, he's part of Overtime Elite, but he's not even a coach. Like, he is the head of coaching development for Overtime Elite. He's not even coaching right now. So for me, it's just, ooh, it. I, on some level, I respect Troy Weaver for being willing to go down with the ship, to be carried out on a shield, whatever kind of other cliche you want to use here. But as a fan, I and, and let's be real, I am a fan of the Pistons. This is a coaching search that I think I know where it's going, and it makes me really nervous. It's It's hard to get excited about a guy, again, who's not even a coach right now. Like, not even a coach right now. Hasn't been a coach for years, and hasn't popped up anywhere so i don't know man i mean he won the title at yukon and was gone three years later you know he couldn't really recruit that makes you a little worried about how he connects with young players and this is still a really young team so oof, I, yeah I, I don't know really what else we have to say here i like charles lee i like jerron collins compared to kevin ollie are they necessarily the guys i'd be going after no Mike Budenholzer's out there. And like, I have a lot of criticisms of Mike Budenholzer as a coach. He's very set in his ways, very stubborn, doesn't make a lot of great adjustments. And we've seen that bite him multiple times in the playoffs. But when it comes to the regular season, when it comes to making the playoffs and being a competitive team, I don't know if there's five head coaches in the league better than, than Mike Budenholzer. That guy won 60 games with Paul Millsap, Al Horford as his best players. Like, what else can you say other than that? Uh, the guy gets results. So for me, it's a little worrying that he's not even being thrown into the mix there. Um, but yeah, I, I think for me, I'm, I'm with you. Charles Lee, Jerron Collins, and then Kevin Ollie. Yeah, I, I, I think I, I think it's to me very clear that if Mike Budenholzer was available and, and, and wanted to coach the Detroit Pistons, like he should be far and away the number one candidate. He had his faults, obviously, but he also won an NBA title with, with mm -hmm. Milwaukee. And there were a lot of factors that played into Milwaukee's uh, uneventful run in the playoffs this year. And it started with them not having the best player in the league healthy for three of the games. Like, they ran into a, a Jimmy Butler whose playoff performance is something that we're going to be looking back on in awe for years if it continues on the trajectory that the heat are on now with him seemingly about to lead this team to the eastern conference finals and dare they might be the the favorite to come out of the east in that series assuming yep. they make it there if they match up with either boston or philadelphia who both have serious serious issues with their own team right now i mean they they're, they're just running into a team that that kind of has that team of destiny feel. And Jimmy Butler has that player of destiny feel right now. And, you know, it's, it's not a excuse. Like the Bucs still should have been able to find a way to win that series, but they won the most games in the league this year. Mike Boonholzer has obviously garnered so much respect. He has such a rich history of winning at every stop and developing at every stop along the way. It's, it's disappointing that the Pistons haven't gotten involved in that. And it seems like they're already at a point in their coaching search where they're ready to make that hire. And it's a little bit disappointing because it sounded like initially the Pistons were going to kind of wait until after the playoffs or, or towards the end of the playoffs to see who else became available. But we're now getting the news that they're speaking to their finalists. And that means that someone like Mike Boonholzer, who hasn't been discussed yet, Probably isn't getting an interview at this point. Nope. Uh, it's it's disappointing. And again, I didn't, you know, I thought of the available coaches, some of the guys that, you know, we've mentioned before. I just don't think the Pistons ended up with the best group as, as the candidates. You know, I, I wouldn't have Gavin Ali in my finalist group. Uh, you know, I, Charles Lee could, would be there. Charles Lee would be the one guy out of this group that I I could I could really get behind hiring, and and I would probably able to be able to to get behind hiring Collins as well. But it sounds like they're going to go with the guy that, to the public, to the public's knowledge, just doesn't have the 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 
history, the accolades to step in and be an NBA coach, a guy that, you know, hasn't been coaching college or NBA basketball in years. And, you know, to, to Ali's credit, he's gotten great reviews from his former teammates in the league. He was super, super well-respected in Oklahoma City. That's where him and Troy Weaver made connection. But he was super well-respected there by the players. You know, Kevin Durant spoke very highly of him. Russell Westbrook spoke very highly of him. But that's a decade ago. It's like, it's it's not 2013 anymore. It's 2023. And this guy really hasn't been coaching at a high enough level in years. And again, no. the final point I want to make on this, because I don't want to drag this out, but Troy Weaver has to know that if he misses on this hire, he's done. You can't go five, six years of not making the playoffs, of falling short of expectations, and get to hire a second head coach as a general manager. Like, he's already had three years and not a whole lot to show for it. He messes up this hire. It's It's got to be the end of his tenure with Detroit. So the other part I want to say to myself Troy Weaver cannot be silly enough to just be hiring one of his buddies because it's one of his buddies. He has to know the significance and the importance behind this hiring for himself and for the franchise, but really for himself, because if it doesn't work out, he's probably getting booted out the door with this head coach. So that's what I'm trying to tell myself to, to maybe give a little bit of hope that this is going to be the right hire for the Pistons. And who knows, maybe we're, maybe we're all getting thrown, uh, you know, through a loop and, and getting, getting uh, messed with, and it won't be Kevin Ali, but it, it just seems that's the way we're headed. Oh my God, Aaron, do you hear that? That's red Arbacks music back from the dead. Um, no. Yeah, uh, for sure. I, I think we're, we're, we are been in lockstep on this for a while now. Um, I, I'm going to join in, though. I Before we move on, I am also going to say, talking about head coaches, Eric Spolstra, my God, give this man his flowers. Give this man his flowers. So, they are they might be going to his seventh, seventh Eastern Conference Finals since he took over. And I know four of those came with LeBron James and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh, but three of them have come in the last four years. If they make it, if they make it past the Heat, or that past the Knicks, I mean. I mean, three Eastern Conference Finals in four years with Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo as your best players. I mean, what a monster. What an absolute monster. I've said it before. I'll say it again. Biggest travesty of the all-NBA 75-year list, Doc Rivers over Eric Spolstra. Um, I dare you to find me three better head coaches in the last 10 years than Eric Spolstra. I dare you. That guy is a monster. He can win with anyone. Uh, give Eric Spolster his flowers. That's who I'd like to have in the Pistons head coach. <laughs> he gave me my head coach. I'm Terry get, taking Spo all day. Um, you know, plus his dad went to Birmingham Seaholm. So local connection. What more can you want? Yeah, it would be nice if the Pistons <laughs> could end up with Eric Spolster, wouldn't it? Not going to happen. That's Pat Riley. Right. Pat Riley will slaughter a goat at the altar of Moloch and use its blood to slick back his hair before he lets Eric Spolster go to the Pistons. That's never happening. But yeah. Well, we talk about it, and it's, it, it's, it, it, it is prevalent no matter – I don't think anyone could really deny it at this point that coaching trees are significant in the NBA, and it's how a lot of coaches get their opportunities as being part of a successful coach's coaching tree and, right. and for me that's why like i am shocked that that chris quinn didn't get into the oh. finals group or isn't getting that opportunity like, don't even don't even bring him up you're gonna make me sad yeah i know, I know. but you know what look when you have a chance when you have a chance to hire a guy that comes from the jim calhoun and scotty brooks coaching tree i mean how can you pass that up it's just yeah it's something i guess from the public we don't understand um Again, I hope to be wrong on this. I hope to be looking yeah. back at this in this same position next year and saying, you know, at the same time of the year next year, saying, Pistons got it right. Yeah. I want to look stupid. I want to look like an idiot. Yeah. This is you when I, I mean? this is when I want to look dumb. Um, yeah. But for, for the information that I have, it just doesn't seem like the right hire. Uh, anything else that you want to add on this topic before we move on, on to our final? Uh, you know what, man? Coaches coach, players play. Let's move on to the players. 
Yeah, we, we are going to move on to the players. James Edwards III of The Athletic uh, released an article earlier this week where he speculated on some realistic free agency options for the Detroit Pistons this summer. Uh, this is not a report that the Pistons are targeting these players specifically. Uh, he's, you know, citing these as guys that the Pistons could realistically target. So he's not saying that the Pistons are going after these guys. Uh, one of the names that he that he has in this uh, this this piece, Jeremy Grant, is someone that has been linked to the to the Pistons uh, as a free agency target uh, this upcoming offseason in a report. But these other names that that we're mentioning are all speculative uh, and just for point of discussion. But Ed, Edwards named Jeremy Grant, uh, Karis LeVert, Grant Williams, Austin Reeves, Max Struss, uh, among other names as targets for the Detroit Pistons this summer, realistic targets for the team as Troy Weaver tries to build out a better roster heading in to next season. There were some other names on this list. Uh, you know, none of them were as significant as the names already mentioned, you know, like U Utah Watanabe, who actually wouldn't mind, uh, was on the list. There was a couple other smaller names uh, as well, Tory Craig. Um, but what about your boy, Cam Johnson? Was he on that list? Did I miss that? You missed Cam. You didn't mention him. Oh, my God. That's right. And you know what? Cam Johnson's on the cover art for the podcast. What a miss by me. This is why that's we okay. need Mike hosting. I, I, <laughs> there's too much going on. There's too yeah. much going on. I can't handle it. Uh, Cam Johnson, yes. Cam, but we talked oh, – I'll, I'll save it for the discussion. I, I think this list overall was <laughs> pretty underwhelming in general, considering I'll maintain, I'll maintain my stance at the Pistons. I have to get a rather significant upgrade to the roster in terms of getting an all-star level player on the team. I don't think any of these guys fit that billing. Uh, if this team's serious about making a, a major jump in the standings anytime soon. Uh, but overall, this list to me was again, pretty underwhelming. What did you think about the names uh, that were linked to the Detroit Pistons? Yeah, you're, you're not wrong. I, I mean, I thought it was interesting that Kyle Kuzma and Harrison Barnes weren't on the list. Um, I, to be honest, I, they probably aren't, legitimate targets but i did think it was interesting they weren't on there for me looking at these names it's it's really divided into two two groups there's the guys that you have to throw a lot of money at and you're expecting them to come in and really you know be your day one starter provide at least number three number four option level of production and then the other guys are guys that you bring in to be Maybe you're a spot starter, you know, maybe you're really effective option off the bench. For me, it's like two groups. So I look at the first group, the guys that you're really going to have to pay. I think that's your Jeremy Grant. I think that's Cam Johnson. I think that's Grant Williams. And as crazy as it sounds, I think at this point, it's probably Austin Reeves as well. What he's shown with the Lakers, not just in terms of as a shot maker, but as a creator for others. He's he's going to get some money this offseason. I, I think he's going to get better than like Kyle Anderson got uh, on the Timberwolves. For me, I, I think he's a he's a good player. For me, Karis LeVert, I'm not really all that interested in. Uh, Matisse Thibel, I'm really not interested in. Cam Reddish, I mean, how many times can this man be linked to the Detroit Pistons? At, <laughs> no, thank you. I'm good. Like, I'm fine, man. I'm really, I'm good on Cam Reddish. I don't need to hear about him anymore. Those are guys that I'm not so interested in. But then you look at the other players like, you know, I like you to Watanabe, but he's not a starter. He's going to be 29 years old. He's a decent shooter. He's a really good effort guy. But let's be honest, he's never played more than 16 minutes per game in a season at, at going into 29 years old. Like, that's not a guy you can depend on to come in and be your starter. Torrey Craig. I love Torrey Craig. Like, one of my favorite role players. Is that a guy you can rely on for 30 minutes a night to be your number four scorer, number five scorer even? I, I don't know. And then you look at the other guys on the list, like your Jeremy Grant, your Grant Williams. I, you know, Karis LeVert even. Like, I have a hard time seeing you bring them in for a price that isn't an overpay. I, I have a really hard time seeing that. And then you look at where you're at in a couple of years. Are those guys going to be worth their contracts? I don't know. For me, really, like, I like Max Struess. I worry he's going to cost too much. I like Cam Johnson a lot. I worry he's going to cost too much. And I think this kind of brings back to what you're saying. It's an underwhelming list because you're, if you bring in one of those 
more higher tier guys, you're going to have to pay them probably 20 million plus a year. I mean, Jeremy Grant, 25, 28 million plus a year. It's going to cost you some money. I have a really hard time seeing that you're going to get a return back on those players that is really going to feel like you justified the contract. And then we've talked about it before. When you start having to pay Cade, when you start having to pay Ivy, I know it's a little bit down the road, but like if you pay Jeremy Grant a four-year deal, Cade Cunningham's contract is up in two years. Like that's going to affect it. Jaden Ivy, Jalen Duran, their contracts are up in three years. That's going to be on the same timeline as one of these free agents' contracts. So it's a very difficult position I think the Pistons are in. It's easy to say, look, we have the cap space. We can overpay. You have to look down the line. The reason Troy Weaver has gotten so many flowers when he came in is because he fixed up the Pistons' cap situation. You can't have it to where four, five, six years down the line – after clearing all that money off the books, that you're back in the same position where you're a middle-of-the-pack team paying minimal guys way too much because you were trying to compete. So, Aaron, I don't know if you feel differently about any of the guys I've mentioned, about the situation the players are, the, the Pistons are in, but I genuinely think if the Pistons are serious about upgrading their wing, it's either got to come through the draft or it's probably got to come through a trade. And I think that those are probably the best two options available to them if you want to maintain a relatively clean cap before you go take that leap into being a title contender. Because once you do that, you are going to have to make trades, big money trades for big money players. Every contending team does it. So you have to be sure of where you're at. Look at the Suns. They just traded for Kevin Durant, but by doing so, they destroyed all their depth. They're going to probably lose to the Nuggets in, in game six. They're all, they're almost certainly going to lose. And like, where are you then? You have a messed up cap, an aging roster, and nobody to replace them. So the Pistons have to be really cautious here. I, I wonder if you have a different perspective. Unfortunately, for, for the sake of, uh, you know, entertainment value, I really don't. I think it's going to have to come down to making move in the trade market. It's going to have to be some sort of, you know, taking some of your assets and consolidating them into a package to make a move for an all-star level player. And, you know, I don't know if that's necessarily going to be possible this summer. It does seem like every year, at least a few names become available and a team has to make a decision uh, if they're willing to, to move the picks, to move the young players, to go get them. Uh, you know, if I'm the Pistons and I end up with anything but the number one pick in the draft uh, in the lottery next week, I'm certainly looking at moving the pick. You know, there's not a guy, you know, it, it, it'd be nothing against Scoot Henderson. I really like Scoot Henderson. But if you can use that pick to go get a, a wing that's you really feel is going to fit better uh, and, and has, you know, the all-star pedigree, it's a lot easier to move that pick. Now, if you get the number one pick, you know, your decision's made for you. No one's trading off that pick. Uh, everyone's taking Victor Wembanyama. Whoever gets the number one pick, uh, I, it would I would imagine the the package to move off one would be absolutely massive from a team that tries to trade up for it. Um, but I just don't see a team moving up for it at this point. Uh, but if the Pistons don't end up with one, if they end up with two, if they end up with three, if I'm Troy Weaver, I'm looking to move that pick. I'm looking to take that that pick and something else. You know, I don't know what type of value around the league a guy like Isaiah Stewart has. Uh, I don't think Killian Hayes has as value around the league, to be completely honest with you. So I don't think he's a name that, you know, as much as you or I maybe don't believe he should be on the roster next year, or really fits the roster next year. I'm sure you you probably feel he there's a, a clearer path for him to be on the roster next year. For someone like me, you know, I maybe don't. But nonetheless, I, I don't know what else the Pistons put with, with that number two pick uh, or the number three pick or wherever they end up. Uh, but I'm looking to move that to get – to get a real piece on this roster because drafting someone like Scoot Henderson, like, yes, they can do it, but it's, it's going to be harder for them to get to where they want to be next year, which is reportedly in the playoff mix in the playoff hunt. Um, so yeah, that's where I'm at. I don't think any of these names really stand out to me. Like I like Jeremy Grant. I've maintained that I've liked Jeremy Grant uh, at this point though, you're talking about paying him $30 million a year. I don't know if I want to commit to that at this point with, 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 
just how far off this team looks. Um, Cam Johnson's going to be a popular name. He's a good player. I liked Cam Johnson pre-draft. He was who I wanted the Pistons to take that year, not Seiko Dumboya. Um, but at this point, he's probably getting $20 million a year. And I don't, I don't, don't know if you want to use your cap space on him. Like, he's a good player, but, again, this team needs something more than that. Uh, and like you've said, sooner, or ra- sooner rather than later, it's going to be time to pay Kate Cunningham, uh, you know, Jaden Ivey, all these other guys. I, I, this group just doesn't really do anything for me. And it's, it's why I just don't believe this team is going to be in a spot next year uh, to actually compete for the postseason, like, like, like is being discussed, because they've done so little uh, at this point to put the roster in that position outside of hoping that there's enough internal development uh, where these guys, this team just makes a, a massive, massive jump. But it just doesn't seem like that's going to going to be possible, especially when they're bringing in a first year NBA head coach uh, seemingly as well on top of that. So, yeah, yeah, I, I think the dream is like Jalen Brown says, Hey, I'm not re-signing with Boston after next year uh, because contract is up after next year and you get the two pick and, I mean, I don't know. The problem is Boston's in win-now mode. So if they're trading Jalen Brown, they're trading him for another all-star. I right. think even if you took said, hey, here's Jaden Ivey and the second pick, I, I have a hard time believing Boston would say that, you know, even though they might feel that the value is equivalent, I have a hard time seeing where they would say, yeah, but, like, we have Jason Tatum. Like, we have a team that has to win now. We're still shooting for a title these next two three four years so ah it's it's a very difficult situation really it is but you have to i think find a solution in the trade market and here's the good thing though there is always always an underachieving team an unhappy superstar halfway through the season it happens every single year and not just one team not just one superstar there's two or three it happens so while it's not clear right now what the solution is, I'm also of the belief that a package will open up at some point. I really do think there will be something. And look, if the Pistons are serious about contending, then the fact of the matter is you have to be willing to start parting with first-round picks after this year. Maybe even for this year. If trade opens up at the the draft, I think you definitely have to consider moving off of a pick that's between two and five. I really do think you have to. Um, and and again, going into the trade line deadline, if you're in a position where you can make the playoffs, I think there has to be a real, real question of whether you're willing to move future draft picks as well. You have to consolidate at a certain point. We said it during the summer last year when the Cavs traded for Donovan Mitchell. Like the Pistons are going to have to do the same thing at a certain point. And you have to be really smart about it because like we just saw with Cleveland, they made that move for Donovan Mitchell and it took them from the play-in, losing in the play-in to losing in the first round. It's hard to win in the NBA, even with multiple star players. You know, it's really, really difficult. So yeah, that we've been saying it for a while. The Pistons are in a really precarious position. Troy Weaver has to nail this coaching hire. He has to nail this draft, and he has to nail free agency. That is a really, really difficult proposition for any GM. Any GM. I don't care who they are. Uh, To nail all three in one offseason is a tall task. So I have my doubts, but again, I'm still hopeful, and and we'll see what he can do. He zagged before when we thought, you know, there was only one or two options available, and I'm not going to put it past him to do it again. No doubt that that's one. If there's one thing you can say about Troy Weaver is that he is unpredictable. Uh, he's you, he can pull a feather out of a cap and completely, you know, shock people with his decision-making sometimes good or bad. That's that's, uh. that's why he's daddy. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. He's an alpha. He's a freaking Chad. He's a Sigma. Like he's <laughs> dude, the guy he's, he, that's why he's daddy Troy. Like he, he's the big boss. And like, you know what I mean? You think he got him figured out, and then he boom, he switches up on you. Agreed with. Him. You know that's that's why he's that's why he's the big daddy. So yeah, there you go. I don't think there's anything else to say after that. I think we we Troy Weaver's daddy. 
Pistons are in a tough position. Kevin Ali, not Kevin Ali. What else is there to say? <laughs> it's uh, a, a big week for the Pistons. NBA lottery next week. We'll certainly be talking about where they end up. Woo! Next week, it's Aaron. Oh, massive my God. Night franchise, one way or yeah. the other. It's going to be a uh, a celebration of <laughs> of losing and this miserable past season of play, or it's going to be a how the hell could this have gotten worse? We're gonna have to have the editor either ready to uh, insert celebration by cool in the gang or hurt by johnny cash one of the two that's it's gonna be that kind of podcast um i don't yeah think i've had people really a, a, a middle ground i think it's <laughs> really it's one or the other man that, I yeah i think it's one or the other and um yeah i've had people ask me they're when are you doing a draft preview i say when the lottery finishes because the fact of the matter is if the pistons get number one i you don't need me to evaluate the other prospects in this class yeah. you know where it's going if right. they get anything else, then we can talk about, hey, who's getting picked here? Um, yeah, it's it's kind of that simple. We'll know. Well, draft lottery on Tuesday, Jasper. Anything else you wanted to add before we wrap up this week's show? No, that's it for me. I'm uh, looking forward to the draft lottery the same way I would a biopsy. It's either going to be really good news or really bad news. So <laughs> hopefully, hopefully the prognosis is negative. Yeah, you're you're not wrong. You're 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 not wrong there. I will. I think we hit on a ton this week. Uh, it's what we get from missing last week's show. But we'll be certainly be back next week. Hopefully, we'll have Mike with us. Uh, he's you know he's doing a lot of big boy things lately in life. I I can't relate. Um, but that's why he's not been on the show. You know, he's got real life stuff going on. He's, he's not uh, missing our lottery review though. That that for sure. Yeah, it's, it's he can't miss that one. Clause, uh, there's a clause in his contract that says he can't miss that. So nice. We will have uh, all three of us back next week. I, I'm not going to guarantee it, but I'm going to guarantee it. Uh, that's going to do it. Literally. I'm going to guarantee oh. it. So it's happening. Guaranteed. It's guaranteed. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week's show, everyone. Make sure to use our our, our promo code. Leave with Bet Online for a fifty percent welcome bonus uh, on your first deposit with Bet Online. Thanks so much to them uh, for sponsoring this week's show. From Aaron Johnson and Jasper Apollonia, thanks so much for listening to this week's edition of the Palace of Pistons podcast, and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.